So I spent some time this week trying to think through all the trials that I've been through in life. And then I started to think through all the trials that I've walked with people through, and then just all the trials that I've heard people go through. And I want you to do the same thing. I just want you to think about, maybe you're going through trials right now, or maybe you have in the past, or maybe you know people who... And I'm talking about, like, I'm talking about the big stuff. I'm talking about, like, when you are in the car and you're driving to the ER because someone that you love is in the backseat. I mean, maybe it's even your kid, like, in the backseat, and you're just trying to get there as quickly as possible. Do you know what I mean? Like, that kind of a moment. That, that moment where maybe you have a decision to make in life, and it is pressing down, and it's weighing down on you, and you're looking at the options. You're going, I just don't know what to do, and I feel so overwhelmed with what I'm facing. That kind of a moment. The moment where maybe you're getting ready to walk into work and you know there have been people that act like they like you, but they've been talking about you and you know they've been talking about you and this has been going on for a couple days and you're going to work and you don't even know if you're going to have a job by the end of the day. That kind of a moment. I'm talking about that place where you're like anxiety and depression is just pushing down on It's pushing down to the point that you don't know. You don't know if you're ever going to feel like yourself again. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that place. I'm talking about the place where you're sitting in the waiting room, waiting for the results from the biopsy. That kind of a moment. You know, those moments that just seem kind of to press down on us where we really don't know what the right answer is, where you're thinking, what am I going to do about this problem no matter what this problem is? Those types of situations. I think when we do that, we go all kinds of places for our security, don't we? For our answers, for our stability. I think sometimes we go to mama. I'm going to call mama because mama knows everything, you know. So I'm going to call my mama and we're going to see what mama has to say about her. We're going to call dad or sometimes you're like a little spa therapy. You know, massage doesn't fix everything, but it feels good, you know. So I'm going to go to the massage. Or Art and Jake's, they got some ribs on Tuesdays, y'all. Like, and that helps, you know. So I'm going to go eat some ribs. Ribs will make everything feel better. Or you're like, I, I, I know money doesn't solve all the world's problems, but it'll buy a boat, you know. And, and boats are good. And maybe you're going... Florida. Florida has some sun and beach therapy. I'm going to try that. But I mean, I mean the situations where a little travel doesn't fix it. What about those situations? What about the ones where you can't write a letter to solve your problem? What about when money really doesn't help? What, What do you do then? What do you do when you are just overwhelmed with what you're facing? How do you respond to that? Again, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodside Romeo. I'm Pastor Billy, and your campus pastor, and we are in this sermon. It's good to see you guys. Like last week, I know it was spring last week, but we had an ice storm. Guys, like you know that, right? We had an ice storm last week, so I know it was rough, but like we're back. The sun is shining. Everyone's back. It is really, really good to have you on the house of the Lord this morning. Just so you know, we've been doing name tag Sunday because like I'm, I'm kind of new. Like I'm, I'm pretty new. I'm fairly new. And I don't know all y'all's names yet. And I'm trying to get to know you. So what I've had you do, if you're new with us, just it'll make this next part make more sense. I've had everybody wearing name tags. And what happens is people don't like name tags at all. Like some of you, you don't play the game of name tag game. And so you don't wear the name tag because you don't want the sticker on you or you write it real lightly in an ink pen so I never can read it anyway. And I know you do that just so you know. So here's what I did. I got my app and um, on, my, on my little phone here, I have this app called Name Shark. And look at this. Look at this. I, I've been taking pictures all morning long of people and writing their names because there's a quiz button here. So it'll say, find Linda. And I'm like, well, I know this answer right there's Linda. And I can 
click on Linda, it's like, yep, and they'll say, find Bill. I'm like, well, that's Bill. We got the same name. Like, I can remember that and Barb and Paul. So anyway, it will go through, and I'm going to quiz myself to where I can learn all your names. So here's what I want you to do. It's going to be such a fun game. You're going to love this. Everybody, like, no one likes name tags, but everybody loves your picture being taken. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I want you to do just to help me out. Like, this really is going to be big. So when Amy thinks I'm watching TV with her at nighttime, the person singing, this, not Kip, that would be weird. But like Amy right here, Amy is my wife. And so um, Amy and I will watch TV, we'll watch our shows in the evening time, but I'm really not going to be watching shows. I'm going to be quizzing myself to learn all your names. That's what I'm going to be doing over in the chair. And so here's what I want you to do. At the end of the service, I want you to grab me in the lobby, and I just want you, even if you've introduced yourself 30 times to me, and every time I act like I know your name, I nod my head up and down. Here's what I want you to do. Do it one more time. Just one more time, because what's going to happen? I'll be accountable by next week. I, if I get, because I'm going to take your picture and write your name in my little lap. Next week, you watch. I'm going to nail it. Like, I will know you by next week. And then, those of you who skip it, because you're like, I hate my picture being taken, you do it next week. And by the time we get to summer, I should know most of us. Like, I'm going to work on this. I am, I am in it to win it. Like, this is going to be great. It's going to be so good. I'm talking about the sermon, right? Okay, so we're in this sermon series called Pages. This is actually week three of a five-week series called Pages. We're in the book of Psalms. In fact, we're in Psalm 119. I want you to go ahead and turn there now. Psalm 119 this morning. If you were here last week, you heard how this is an incredible masterpiece. It's really a work of art. It's, it's a giant acrostic is what it is. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. 22 letters. Each letter represents a different section of Psalm 119. It'll represent, each one will represent eight different verses. And so we have 176 verses here, making it the largest chapter in the Bible. And as you read through Psalm 119, there's not really any singular theme that you could put before Psalm 119 to say the whole Psalm, all 176 verses, point to this one thing. You, you can't really do that. But I think that there's a common thread as you go through. I really do. I think there's a common thread. I think the thread is this. You and I are not supposed to worship the Bible. We're not called to worship the Bible. We are called to worship the Lord. We are called to worship the Lord. And one way that we do that is by knowing his word, by letting his word come into our lives and transform our lives. That's one way that we can worship him. And so Psalm 119 will point to that a lot and today, man, that question of what do you do when you're overwhelmed? And when I say overwhelmed, I mean the waves of life keep smacking you in the face again, again, again. That type of overwhelm, what do you do? Psalm 119 is where we're going to find the answer. And that brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that the promises of God's word will overcome my problems. The promises of God's word will overcome my problems. That means God's promises are greater than my problems. The promises are greater than my problems. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56 today. This will be the seventh section in the group, the seventh stanza, if you will. What I'd like to do is I'd like to read it all to you first, and then I want to spend just the remainder of our morning together examining how to apply this truth to our lives. So here we are, Psalm 119, verse 49 through 56. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. 
When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. So you may have big problems, but you need to know today our promises that we have in God are even bigger. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see that this is the seventh Hebrew letter. The seventh Hebrew letter is Zion. It's the, the, the letter Zion. And so this is the seventh heading. Again, you're going to go through the Hebrew alphabet. Each letter represents a different stanza. So these eight verses, these eight verses really go with Zion. And there's a particular word I want to draw your attention to. Look at verse 49, 52, and 55. 49, 52, and 55. There's the Hebrew word zacher. And we're going to keep talking about zacher all the way through. Zacher. Zacher means to remember. So if you look at 49, 52, and 55, you're going to see that word remember. I would just go ahead and circle it because what you're going to see is the psalmist is going to show us how when you are overwhelmed in life, how by remembering you can deal with what it means to be overwhelmed. The Bible shows us how to handle it. The first thing we're going to see is we need to remind God of his promises. Remind God of his promises. Look at verse 49 and 51 again. Remember, this is the psalmist talking to God. He's talking to God right here. And he says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. So when trials come, the psalmist says when trials come, the first thing you should do, remind God of his promises. And I love this. Y'all doing the same thing that the first two services did. Sometimes I'm just going to call it out. We play church sometimes. We do. We don't like to admit it, but what we do is we like sit in church and we're like, oh, the pastor just said remind God of his promises. And then you just look at me like, yeah, and okay, God knows everything already. He already knows. He's really, really smart, guys. He's really smart. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's all powerful. Scripture tells us that again and again and again and again. So there should be this place of what do you mean tell God his promises? He already knows his promises, right? He already knows. We know that he knows. We can read Psalm 147.5. And before I read that, let me just say we're always going to have a base text that we're basing everything off of when I preach. But then there'll be supplemental text. There's going to be other verses that I use. You should always write those down because you can talk about it more in your neighborhood group or even in your private study time. You can go a little bit deeper in this and read it more. And just, if nothing else, just check me, right? This is the priesthood of believers. We are all together in this journey. But here's what Psalm 147.5 says. It says, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Man, I love that. God knows he knows more than we can possibly measure. You and I, we can't measure God's understanding. His knowledge is so vast and so great. We can't possibly measure. It's bigger than that. Or Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. In Isaiah 46, 8, he uses that verb, zaher, to remember. And he says this. He's writing from the perspective of the Lord right now. And the Lord says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Look, listen to verse 10. Verse 10 is awesome. 
declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Isn't that cool? Here's what Isaiah said, if you missed it. Isaiah said, God's right there saying, before I write down in the beginning, God, before I get to that part, I've already done the end, just so you know. Isn't that awesome? He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And yet, the psalmist says, we're supposed to stop and go to God and remind him of his promises. So here we are as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as disciples. And what that means, followers of Jesus, it means we've come to a place saying we believe. We have put our faith in the truth that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect and a sinless life, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried. Then the third day conquered sin and death and rose again. We place our faith and our trust in that truth, right? Over this past few little months, over this past season since I've been here, I've seen so many of you, so many. There's been a point in the service near the end normally, and you, you raise your hand. So many of you have put your hand in the air and say, I, today's my day. I'm placing my faith in that truth that Jesus is Lord of my life. So many of you have done that. I just want you to know that doesn't mean you've arrived. That's step one. The next step, just so you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, the next step is baptism. Some of you guys, you haven't been baptized yet. You've never been baptized. The Bible says with your heart you believe, but with your mouth you confess that Jesus is Lord. So Jesus shows us what it means to be baptized. He sets the example. I know some of you, you were baptized as a baby, right? A little bitty boy, a little bitty girl, you were baptized. We, we call that child dedication. Scriptural baptism, scriptural baptism follows salvation, so if you place your faith in Jesus and you've never been baptized after that, we need to talk more. So what I want you to do is I want you to fill out your name and contact information right now, even right now on that communication card. Even if you weren't the past few months, maybe it was years ago, you just, you never got around to it. You've never been baptized. You need to be obedient. You need to be faithful in that. So write your name on a communication card, turn it in at the next steps desk, give it to me, give it to one of the ushers. And we want to talk. It doesn't mean you have to get dunked next week, right? We're not going to try to, like, just pressure you into it. But it may. We have a day set aside. And I don't want you to miss this. Like, it's, it's a really cool celebration. Time in. Like, I got to come back. I called time out. We got called time in. I got distracted. As followers of Jesus, why would we need to tell God what to remember? Because he's omniscient. Why, why would we need to do that? We don't do it for for him, we do it for us. We don't do it for him. We do it for us. We do it to remind ourselves of who he is, of, of what his promises are. We don't need to help God out. There's just a lot of junk in our life that's unresolved sometimes, right? And it's our place of saying, I want to reaffirm who you are and who I am. The posture of the psalmist here is hopeful waiting. You see, we wait on God to do what he said he would do. So when he says, I will accomplish my purpose, which we just read, if he says that, then we keep repeating it. God, we know you're going to accomplish your purpose. God, we know you're going to accomplish your purpose. And it builds our faith as we continue to do that. Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful how that works? We see this happen throughout Scripture. We see examples where people have told God what he's promised in that faith journey, like Moses. You know the story of Moses. Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt. And he was on the way to the promised land, wasn't he? 
On the way to the promised land with the people, and along the way, the people became knuckleheads. Do you remember that? They became knuckleheads. They started to sin. And when they started to rebel against Moses, their leader, when they started to rebel against God, all of a sudden God said, well, you just now got a detour in the story, and so you're going to have to wander around out in the desert for a season. So they're wandering out for... 40 years, right? So they're wandering around out in the desert. And that's where Moses is just, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to say. So look what he says. Exodus 33, 12. Moses says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you've also found favor in my sight. So Moses says, I don't understand all the whys. And the who's, Lord, and I don't understand how you're going to do it. But even in that place of being overwhelmed, you know me by name. And even in that place of knowing by name, I found favor in your sight. And so I'm going to keep saying that, Lord. I'm going to keep saying that because that's going to build the boldness in my faith. As I continue through this journey of leading, it's going to continue to strengthen me. And then we fast forward. If we fast forward a little bit, you have King David. King David's son is Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man ever to live. Here's what he said in 1 Kings 8.25. He says, Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him. So Solomon says, I, I'm not going to talk about promise you made to me, God. I want to talk about promise you made to my dad. Do you remember this, God? Here's what you said to my dad. You said, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. So Solomon says, God, do you remember? Do you remember? You, you said we're going to get to sit on the throne of Israel as long as we follow your ways. And it's Solomon's way of saying, so Lord, I don't want to forget to follow your ways. I, I don't, I don't want to miss that moment. I want to be obedient in what that means. Some of you are leaders, right? You're leaders in your home or at work or at school or in this church. If you're a leader of any type, you really need to spend some time in the book of Nehemiah. And we might end up with a Thrive class on the book of ne Nehemiah sometime this coming year. But the book of Nehemiah is just packed full of incredible lessons for, for leaders. It's where the, the wall is being rebuilt around Jerusalem. And early on in that book, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8, Nehemiah is talking to God, and he says, remember the word. Do you see this? They constantly go back to God, and they remind him of what he said, of what he wrote. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. So Nehemiah goes all the way back to something God said to Moses. He said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and I will bring them to one place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Church, God has not forgotten his word. We don't tell him so that he remembers. We tell him for us to strengthen our faith and our resolve. Can I be real? I mean, and, I, and I struggled with, should I even share this with you or not? But I, I think you need to hear this. You can't repeat God's promises to him if you don't know God's promises. And to know God's promises, you need to spend time in his word. 
You need to spend time studying your Bible because unfortunately, I see so many instances every single week where people will take random verses. I don't know where they're finding them, but they'll take random verses and they'll try to make it apply and support their situation no matter what it is, even if it's totally out of context. Or they'll take large passages from all over the place to try to support their cause. But I want you to know God doesn't promise a lot of things. He doesn't promise your health. He doesn't promise that you're going to be wealthy or wise. He doesn't doesn't promise that you're going to get a house with a white picket fence. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise that there's going to be no car crashes or no cancer. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise no miscarriages. He doesn't promise the, the gainful employment. He doesn't promise the retirement. He doesn't promise a Christian nation in the White House. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise racial reconciliation within our nation. He doesn't promise. And you know what he promises? Jesus says in this life you're going to have trouble. That's what he says. He says count on it. You're going to have trouble. And if you're new to us, I know you're thinking, holy cow, what I just walk into. (laughs) But you know what he promises? He promises that we'll be persecuted, we'll be slandered, we'll be abused, maybe even murdered. Do you know what else he promises? He promises us a peace that surpasses all understanding. He promises us grace. He promises us mercy. He promises us that death is not the end. That those who have gone before us, who have placed their faith in Jesus, there will be a reunion one day. That there will be a resurrection. That we will see glory face to face. He does promise that as well. So when I feel overwhelmed by problems, one of, my, um, one of my favorite passages to go to, I know for a lot of you it's the same, it's Romans 8.28 that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We sang that earlier, didn't we? It's the first song we sang this morning. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But you need to read the whole verse because there's more to it. It doesn't just stop there. It says, For those who are called according to his purpose. Let's never forget that this is about God. It's not about us. My life is not my own. I've been purchased. Everything I've ever been, everything I am now, everything I ever hoped to be, it belongs to the Lord. And it's about his purpose and his calling. So you might have problems, but God's promises are bigger than those problems. First, we see the psalmist tell us that we need to remind God of his promises. Next, You need to remind yourself of God's precepts. That means his rules, his laws. Scripture says in verse 52, When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. So this is the second use of zaher. To remember. The second use we see right here. Zaher, to remember. And what the psalmist says is we need to remember. What we need to remember is we find comfort in God's rules. And again, you're doing it just so you know. You're just staring at me like, right on. His rules, yeah, that's comforting. Guy, let's be real. Can I, can I just be real for a second? Earlier this week on Monday, uh, someone contacted me and said, Billy, I want to have coffee with you in, in this place called Ferndale. 
I had never been to the Ferndale before. I didn't know what that was. And so anytime I go anywhere, I, I use my GPS. I have to use the GPS, right? And so I tell my GPS to take my little bitty car to go to the Ferndale. And, and I, I'm learning some things. Like, I, I get it. It's because some of you who have been here for a while, you're like, oh, it's easy. It's all based on miles. We are at 32 miles, and that's at nine miles. And so everything is based on miles. And I know Van Dyke now. So I'm learning. Like, I'm learning how some things work. But um, as I'm driving, I set my GPS, and as I'm getting closer and closer, I thought, why did he not tell me Detroit? East. Like, I spent a lot of time over here in Harper Woods. If he would just told me Ferndale is next to Detroit East, I would have been like, got it. I know where I'm going. But he didn't tell me that. So I'm just following my GPS, having no idea where I'm going. I didn't even hit the power button, though, guys. Like, I, I left with plenty of time, plenty of margin. Didn't hit my power button. Like, I really have a power button. But I didn't have to hit it in my Prius because it, you know, it takes a little bit to get it going, you know. And so the wind was blowing up my back, so I was making good speed. And, um, <laughs> Finally, my GPS said to exit, right? And so I, I exited just like I was supposed to, and I got to the stoplight, and I stopped, and I, I looked down to my left. And you know how sometimes when you look down left, there's a car coming, and you're like, I can beat them. You know, I can, I can just gun it, hit the power button. I can gun it and get in front of them because I'm in a hurry to get to my coffee, you know. And so that wasn't the case. Nope. I looked down to my left. There's no one, nothing. It was clear. And my GPS is saying, turn right. It's 0.3 miles down on the right. So I'm like, I'm almost there. Like, it was coffee. And I hear this is like great coffee. And I was so excited. So I turned right. And, um, I, and there's a gas station. They always put, if you're an owner of a gas station, we need to talk. Because I don't understand how you choose a location of a gas station. It seems like such a weird spot to put it like right at the intersection so no one can get in or out of the gas station. Like you're always waiting in. Anyone else with me? Like, I don't know. I was just distracted by that. But there were cops. Like there was like three or four different police officers there and like lights were going bad boys, bad boys. You know, it was all exciting right then. And so I didn't pay much attention to it because I thought, you know, I don't know what's going on, but there's some kind of excitement. But I am 0.3 miles from my coffee. And I was looking at this. If you know the area, do you guys know Ferndale? Like is that a place? Everyone Everyone's already been to Ferndale. Great. Okay. I didn't even know this was a thing, this Ferndale place. And so all the signs are kind of hanging out in front of the buildings, which is kind of cool. You know, it provides like a cool little hip area. And so anyway, I'm driving and I'm looking for the coffee sign. And I'm looking for the, you know, I'm kind of moving around potholes a little bit. And I'm looking for the, and all of a sudden, lights in my mirror behind me. I got pulled over. And I pulled over, and as I pulled over, I was thinking, what did I do? I didn't hit the power button. I didn't, I didn't, I, I, maybe I swerved. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, maybe I swerved around the pothole. And, and then I'm thinking, that can't be against the law in Michigan. There's no way. <laughs> because if I didn't swerve, if my car got into the pothole, it's not coming out of the pothole. It's just going to stay down in there. And so I thought, you, you got to swerve. Like, what are you going to, and so I'm just trying to think like, okay, do what the news told me. Keep my hands like on the steering wheel. Don't dig under the seat. Don't dig in the thing right here. Keep him safe. Keep me safe. Keep my hand. Like, so I'm going through everything I'm supposed to do. And he asked for my license. I give him my license. And I give him my license. He says, yeah. So the reason I pulled, he didn't even like, where are you going? Who are you? Let me use the pastor card. Nope, none of that. It's like, give me your license. And he was like, so the reason I pulled you over is there's a sign right when you exit. And the sign says, no right on red. I'll be back. And off he went. 
And uh, yeah, I was busy looking at my GPS, right? I wasn't paying attention to the signs. I didn't find any kind of comfort in the law that day. Like there was no comfort in the law. So we read things like find comfort in the law. We don't find, we find frustration sometimes in the law, don't we? I think that's what's real. If you come and you meet with me because you're like life is chaos right now and I just need you to give me some encouragement and pray with me. And so you set an appointment and you come in the office and we sit down and maybe the fish tank will be going by then and we're chatting. If that's what happens and I bust out the Ten Commandments and say, here you go, I want to encourage you. You're just going to look at me like, what is wrong with you, pastor? And yet what we read is that's the place where we find comfort. That's why it's important not to miss, guys, because if you've been here for the past two weeks, here's what you would have heard. You would have heard that, yes, we're supposed to read and understand the Word of God, but, but here's what that means. You consume the Word of God, you bring it in, and you dwell on it, and you let it sit with you, and then you hear God's precepts, you hear His ways, and in that place, you are changed and transformed to the place where you do what it says. You obey what it says. And I got to go back to Monday and think, well, if I would have not been paying attention to everything else and actually paid attention to the law and obeyed that sign, I would have found a lot more comfort. I would have found a lot more. It wasn't on the officer. That one was on me. You got to obey. And it's the same way with God's precepts, with God's laws. We're going to find the comfort. We're going to find the comfort when we come alongside what God wants to do and align our ways with his ways. The perfect examples through Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus Christ lived the perfect and sinless life. Now picture this scene. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night that he's going to be arrested. He is hours away from one of his followers kissing him on the cheek and betraying him. They're going to arrest him, send him off to this mock trial where he's going to be tortured. Just hours away. Jesus prayed in the garden. And you know his prayer? God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Here's another way to think of that. God, if it's possible, can we change the rules? If there's any other way for people to reconnect with you and find salvation, can we do that? My thought would be, can we take away that sign that says no right on red? Right, that would be the way I would process it. But Jesus came to this place of saying, God, not my will but yours be done. Not my desire but yours. And Jesus was obedient to death. Scripture tells us even death on a cross. Jesus shows us the perfect example of what it means to find comfort in God's precepts, in his ways, to not move to the right or the left, but to stay right in the middle of where God has called us to be. So the psalmist, the psalmist tells us first remind God of his promises, next to remind ourselves of his precepts, and finally we're told to rest in God's presence. Look at Psalm 119, verse 55 and 56. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. This is the third use of Zahir, following that second use. So we hear God's instruction. We understand it. We find comfort by following his word. But then do you see what we were just told? Then we find that place where we can rest. You see, this isn't a nine to five kind of following. This isn't saying, okay, nine to five. When I go to work, then I'm going to do these things. Or if I'm going to school or if I'm going to church, I'm going to do these things. But at night, it all goes out the window, which can I just say this is what we do? 
Can I just say it? You know what happens? People come to church on Sunday, and we smile at each other, and we let the pastor take our picture in the lobby, and we tell him our name, which is what we're going to do, and we do all that, and we pray together, and we sing together, and we worship together, and then we go home. And you know when it hits? When it hits is when you go to get in bed, and you pull the covers up before you say your night-night prayers, and you start to go through everything that you've experienced the day. And for some of you, that's when the anxiety hits. And that's when the depression hits. And that's why all of a sudden you have so much problems trying to sleep. You know what I'm talking about? Guys, I've been there. I, I know what that feels like. And I think that's why we got to go back to the Word of God because do you see what the psalmist says? He says in a very poetic way that he lies down to sleep under Yahweh's protection. Isn't that beautiful? He lies down to sleep under his protection, not just protection from someone coming in to do him physical harm, but he relies on him for protection, for his emotional health, for his spiritual health. And I love that, man. That, that's where we all should be, every single one of us. So maybe, maybe you've got problems. The reminder is God's promises are bigger. You know, when it comes to Zahir, when it comes to remember, this week was an interesting week for me. Because um, I, I didn't even expect it. You know, sometimes when you look at the calendar, things happen and you remember, and you weren't expecting to remember. You know what I'm talking about? Like those moments. Thursday. Thursday was that day for me. Thursday was 23 years. 23 years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Because um, Amy and I, Amy and I were finishing up college. We were in our last couple years of school, and as we were going through school, we moved to a place called Tahlequah, Oklahoma. That's really a place, Tahlequah, T-A-H-L-E-Q-U-A-H, Tahlequah. Tahlequah is the home of Northeastern State University. It is also the home of the national capital of the Cherokee Nation. So there's a lot of Native Americans running around Tahlequah, a lot of, um, a lot of Cherokee in Tahlequah. There's homes where they don't even speak English. They, they really only speak Cherokee in the home. And man, I remember this day because it, it was a beautiful day. Like, it's just gorgeous. Tahlequah is kind of at the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. So there's a lot of trees. There's, there's some hills, not, not like mountains, but just hills. And uh, there's a river that runs right through the middle of town. And I had my window down because in Oklahoma in April, it's springtime. There's no ice storms. It's springtime. Like, so it's spring, and the, the, the flowers were budding, the trees were doing their thing, the river was going, and I had the window down, and it was just great. And this was my better-than-walking car. Um, so this was before the windows broke. Like, after the windows broke, only the sunroof worked, and there was no air conditioner, so I had to hold my hand just right to make the wind blow on my face. That was my air conditioning. But the windows still worked at this time, so I had the windows down. The radio was on, uh, but it's just kind of low, and as I was listening... As I was listening, I remember the radio guy getting kind of excited, so I turned it up a little bit. And they talked about an explosion that had happened in Oklahoma City. And then as more reports come out, it became what we know as the Oklahoma City bombing. It's a guy from Oklahoma, I gotta tell you, that, that was weird. It was weird, I mean, that, that's my home, you know, that's... Um, it's so odd. I don't know that our country had felt anything like that since JFK or maybe even since Pearl Harbor because it, it was really an, an attack on our whole nation. Um, and it hit close to home. But I remember the, the knot in the, in the pit of my stomach. I remember that feeling. 
And I remember that weird feeling of hurt, confusion, anger, maybe a little bit of gratitude, because see, my dad had just retired from the military. And um, as an army guy, he would drive two to three times a week to the Murrah building. He had quite a few friends who died in the bombing. And um, I don't even know what he did there, he, army man stuff. I don't even know, yeah, I don't know what he was doing there. But he would drive a couple times a week to, to the Murrah building. It's the same feeling I felt during 9-11. You know, that just feeling that just hits you. And you just kind of shake your head and go, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. It's the same feeling I felt living in Kalamazoo when a guy got into his Uber car and started driving around just murdering people just for no reason. Remember, they came on the news and Twitter started blowing up. And it was really just, hey, stay in your house, guys. No one go out. Because the guy is randomly stopping and shooting people just I understand it just seems senseless you know it's the same feeling that I felt when we got the phone call saying that most of Amy's family had died in a car accident it's that same feeling is that same feeling when we were in Lisbon and the train blew up in Madrid the train bombing when Isis had blown it up and um, we weren't that far of a drive from Madrid, from Lisbon. I had quite a few friends there who worked for the same mission organization. Their kids rode that train. They got on and off at those stops and they were okay, but still I remember that feeling. And maybe the truth is you feel that feeling now. You know because you're going through stuff with your doctors, you're going through stuff relationally. Maybe you're looking at your relationship with someone you care about and it seems like you just keep cutting and slicing each other with your words and your unforgiveness and walls keep getting built higher and higher and you don't even know if the relationship is gonna make it right now. Maybe you know that place of just being completely overwhelmed by what you're facing. The psalmist says, stop. Repeat to God his promises. You know what that means? It means tell him who he is. You tell him who he is. And for some of you today, that's going to be hard to do. That's going to be challenging to do. But it's where you say, God, you are who you say you are. You'll be what you've always been to us, Jesus. And so what I want to encourage you to do is say it say it, maybe it's just a whisper at first, and maybe it's through clenched teeth. I'm just going to give you permission to tell you that's okay. You whispered at first if you need to. You clench your teeth if you need to. But I'm going to tell you, you keep saying it. When you stand next to brothers and sisters in Christ who are saying it with you, there's going to be a boldness that starts to grow in you. Your faith is going to be strengthened and encouraged. You're not going to be able to help it. And before you know it, you're going to be shouting it out. And you're going to be shouting in a way that says, we're going to see our enemy run. Satan, you might as well get out of here because there is no toehold for you in my life. I am standing watch and you are not welcome here. Anxiety, depression is not going to get me. It is not going to happen. Fear is not from God. God did not give us a spirit of fear. And I am not about to stand by. I am going to watch the enemy run in this place. Because our victory, church, is through Christ Jesus. Our victory is through Christ Jesus and we're not going to be afraid. We are not going to be afraid. Father, we do thank you so much for that truth. We thank you for a place where we can come together and be reminded of what your holy word tells us. And we are told that when we are in that place of being overwhelmed, when we are facing the trials of life, Lord, we don't have to be beat down by fear. 
we just repeat to you who you are and you are good and you are mighty and you are the alpha you are the omega you are the beginning you are the end you are a strong tower you are our refuge you are our hope you are our salvation and Lord, we're not going to find our hope and our trust in any place else other than you. And God, in that place, we want to come and align ourselves with yours and, and find comfort there. God, we want to find comfort because we obey your laws and your precepts. And God, it's not just for today with the sun shining. We want to rest in you. We want to rest in you. We thank you that you are who you say you are. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I invite you to stand as we worship this morning.